Hello and welcome to Duelist Unity Raw, episode 15. I am God, and never what I think I am, and never what you think I am. And beyond that idea, it becomes clearer and clearer that the only thing that could possibly be left is the fact that I'm God, and so are you. And I would like to take this moment to remind our listener that the more work you do towards questioning yourself and questioning the things that give you a false sense of certainty, the better you're going to feel more often than not, because you're not carrying all this excess weight. But as you unload that weight, you're also freeing up awareness, which means that occasionally those habits are going to come back and you're going to have more awareness of them as they come back. So it might actually feel like you're backsliding like you're doing worse than you were just because you're back in the mess and it seems louder than it was previously. But the fact is, is that that's part of the process of your increasing awareness. Keep going through it. Don't judge your progress. Don't hold on to it as it's difficult to go through. Certainly don't listen to those thoughts and give them the credibility where you're trying to cope with them and battle with them and trying to make yourself feel better again. Recognize exactly what you've been recognizing this whole time. The thoughts are not about you. They're just part of the process of you growing and adapting and being the present moment. But you are going to feel that drop, especially the higher you go in terms of your awareness. Occasionally, you're going to feel a drop. And it's because of all the progress that you've been making. It's not a sign that you're not doing well. It's exactly the opposite. So I just wanted to say that very quickly. We're very proud of how far you've come. And sometimes it's going to feel like you're not making progress. But you are. And if you're ever doubting that, touch base with us. Touch base on Discord or on Patreon, and we are happy to remind you what you already know, which is that you are everything, and you'll be just fine. And you are always making progress, and we're here to chat about that. And with all of that said, I hope you enjoy this live stream that is Duelist Community Raw, episode 15. There we all are. Right. All right. So give me a second here. I'm going to get some stuff ready, and... Uh... We can go through some announcements. Ah, oh, this is exciting. I'm back to be, I'm glad to be back in the week. I'm back to be glad in the week. Sure. Goes to show you where I'm starting today. Uh, yeah, I hear you. And I, and I feel fucking naked without any hair on my face. Ray's still rocking the goatee, looking great. But, uh, you know, you get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm at that phase now where the itching is almost past. So it's more or less just settling in and, and admittedly, I know this will, this will continue until the point where I just get kind of tired of it. And that could be for a number of reasons, because they're a pain in the butt. Like you have to more or less like make sure that they try and retain their shape. And then if you don't shave very often, as I don't, um, they tend to start to expand over time uh, or they just start to get annoying around the nose. And yeah. So we'll see how long it lasts. But if I do make it beyond the next, say, couple of months, we may be going for like a length record in my lifetime, for sure. I'm, I'm excited for it. I will definitely do everything I can to get us to that point in terms of telling Ray how great he looks with it on and, and just soothing that ego to see how long we can get that thing. Because I want some Alan Watts luck honestly <laughs> i think that would be awesome but uh i don't know i might be going up against some family members and i i don't know how much i can compete with that 
It's fair. It's fair. At the moment, we're good because it's it's tidy. So she's enjoying the goatee. She's she's liking the change in the look, but the Alan Watts threat didn't settle in very well, for sure, because that guy had a full on neck beard. It was impressive. Like when you look at how he styled his beard. That must have taken some time. But it's interesting. We were talking about this just prior to recording. You hadn't shaved since the retreat. I believe you had more or less just grown your facial hair and it had become your way of life. But if you think about it, it wasn't really that long. The retreat was only two months ago. And yet for you, that became the norm in that short period of time, because you more or less just stopped thinking about it. You stopped resisting it and it became what you became or, or what you were used to each and every day. It's kind of like having a child, right? Like you'll see a friend and you haven't seen them in let's say six months and they'll go, oh my God, your kid's grown so much. And you're like, really? Because you're there every day. And so you just kind of become accustomed to it. So I think it's really interesting that there's such a stark difference, even just over two months. And it really applies to everything that we do in our day-to-day -day lives, you know, in our relationships, in our habits, things like that. Like you might be thinking the world is a certain way simply because you've been living that way for as long as you have. And it could only be a few months. That's the real crappy part about uh, self-judgment. If you get into the habit of it, it doesn't take long, a month or two of just judging yourself or complaining about things. And all of a sudden you start to think that that's just life again. You forget that there was something else until you stop doing it. And so you, until you make another change and then that becomes the new norm. And that's the danger of ever settling on a norm. Uh, it's so funny, right? Uh, right before you said habits, I wrote down habits and how how accustomed to it. Because I was like, as soon as you started talking about how we get accustomed to it and it becomes normal, I was like, we're going deeper with this. There's a lot more insight to this than just what your fucking face looks like. But yeah, it's uh, it's incredible how just used to things we can get so quickly. And it, I know we've talked about this before with habits and just how habitual humans are. And so I think that's just why it's so, so, so important to continue questioning yourself and your reality and the way you think things are, because they're always changing and shifting. But as we get comfortable and used to a certain way of looking at things or a certain way of living, it kind of slowly builds this prison. And it's to the point that we can't even we don't even recognize it similar to, you know, facial hair growing or, you know, your child growing or, or your dog growing or anything that you're, you're seeing all the time. You don't even see how solidified a habit is becoming along the way, unless you're constantly questioning it. And even if you only, you know, once a week sit back and, and question things, set aside like 30 minutes or something to be like, Hmm. Everything I think is true, actually true, or there's a lot of it in flux. Am I, and am I just creating habits around them? And as the longer you go without questioning them, the harder it becomes to question them. And the, the more we kind of latch onto them, but eventually they can come back, obviously, to, to bite us in the ass when it comes to self-judgment or fears or worries or anything it's like to keep them in check you got to keep kind of facing them and questioning them at the same time and and 
just like the importance of that is incredible. Because it changes how you build relationships. When you get too caught up in the habitual, you start to forget other people aren't necessarily following along to your narrative. And so all of a sudden other people become kind of just an extension of your narrative. You use them to kind of reinforce how you think about yourself without meaning to, of course, but it, it builds a gap between relationships, especially if the other person's doing the same thing, right? And it's interesting because, I mean, that's, that's really the coaching relationship when it comes down to it is getting out of your own way, questioning yourself, making sure that you're not getting all high and mighty. And, and admittedly, and I think this is one of the things about um, therapy that is a danger, like traditional therapy, psychiatry or psychology. As, as good as it is to have all that experience in going through school and learning all that stuff, the fact that you come out of it with this sense of now I know things is kind of dangerous to some degree. And I've had a number of people, even just in the last two weeks, talk about going to therapists who were very much mechanical. There was no empathy. There was no relationship there. They weren't aware enough to create a space within themselves that the other person could share with them. And it's because they were still working through their own crap, right? I just wanted to mention, actually, on a segue, we have a coaching uh, workshop coming up next weekend on the 14th and the 15th, authentic coaching. And it's funny, we say authentic coaching, but it really is just about relationship building. It's just that coaches tend to want to prioritize that a little bit more because it is how they help their client. And so that's what the workshop is, is oriented towards. But it's good for anyone. And we already have a number of signups, including a number of the people who were already at the previous retreat. Uh, it's going to be an incredible weekend. If you can join us, it's only four hours, but it's an introduction to authenticity, to building relationships from a place of openness and vulnerability. It's definitely worth your time if this is something that you struggle with, or if you're looking to become a coach, or if you are currently a coach and you just want to up your game a little bit in terms of opening up and relating to, to your clients and giving them the opportunity to really get to know you rather than just who you think they should see. This is an excellent opportunity. Tickets are available right now. Just dualisticunity.com. Go to the store uh, and you will see the tickets there. If you have any questions, of course, you can just ask on Discord or get in touch with us otherwise. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I, I don't want to get too, too into this with the workshop coming up, but just how people get so hung up on thinking that they have to always have the right thing to say. And really what it comes down to is, is the mentality you embody and the willingness to not just help someone, but allow for the space for them to help themselves and find the answer within themselves. And again, so I'm not, you know, we'll talk about that plenty but it's it's so important to just allow for that space because how often do we interact with someone and you know they try and be helpful and maybe you take some things out of it but really you know you chew on whatever was said and you kind of mold it and, and see for yourself what you can take from it so we think going into a situation, if you're trying to help someone or give them advice that you have to be doing it for them. But so often what they're looking for is just someone to listen, someone to be there with them and embody a mentality that doesn't need to have the right answer, because that's oftentimes what we're afraid of is not having the right answer. And so they really so 
it's it's so often that they just want to recognize that that's a possibility. But anyway, I I, I don't want to keep going because we got plenty to talk about in that regard uh, this weekend. Obviously, but I'm very excited. Plenty to talk about. <laughs> it's going to be a great great workshop. Just to reiterate that the fact is you'll get. I don't know, about an hour, an hour and a half of us talking about the subject and then some Q&A at the end of it. So it's definitely worth your time. For the price, it's definitely worth your time, absolutely. And I know I, I've run these workshops for coaches before. Typically, they're way more expensive, but we've condensed this down to something that's short and applicable, something that you can take with you into your life, takes four hours of your weekend. It's definitely, definitely going to be... Um, useful to you regardless of who you are if this is something you're struggling with again all that said we have some more announcements and i want to get to them um every third tuesday of the month we haven't told our patreon subscribers this yet but this is the plan every third tuesday of the month we do a live stream here on twitch and youtube live and all of the other platforms that we're on hi everyone um from now on we're going to be doing a group discussion live and it's going to feature any of our tier two supporters who want to be on the group discussion with us. And again, this will be turned into an episode later. And so you will have to, of course, agree that this will be public and, and you will be fully aware that that is the case. This will be arranged outside of our normal Patreon calls. So anybody who has a, has a question about this can ask us actually at the end of this show. We're going to be on Patreon for another hour and a half for our tier two discussion. So if you have any questions, you can, you can talk to us there. But this is going to be a lot of fun because admittedly, for the last year, year and a bit, we've been having these group discussions on Patreon. And they are by far the best part of this show. Absolutely, it's just that we can't share them publicly because there are things that people are going through where they don't want it to be public. And that's why we offer this private space or this semi-private space to share with us, to share with other people who are going through the same stuff. They're transformative groups, even for me. Each and every week, I learn more and more and more from the people who are joining us and sharing with us. But it's it's been a shame that we couldn't share that with you. So now we've come up with a way to do so. But again, it's voluntarily. You don't have to do it if you are a Tier 2 supporter or a Tier 3 supporter, but you can. So if you're interested, just get in touch with us and I'll send you the details. Yeah, those are by far my favorite part of uh this whole this whole thing is the community and the interactions that we're able to have and i've certainly found growth in myself and just having the opportunity to talk with people openly about things and resonate with people and hear their stories and you know realize just how much overlap there is in all of our lives and when you think you're going through something that's so unique to you and you know you're the only one who's ever gone through something like this and could ever possibly understand what you're going through and you know your suffering is inevitable and you you're not sure if it's ever going to end i guarantee if you join one of those groups there's going to be at least a few other people who resonate with it have been through it are currently going through it have come out the other end of it and figured some things out that they may be able to share with you it's just such a transformative and powerful and impactful environment to experience, you know, not only growth, but also the recognition that there are other people going through shit and willing to be open about the shit they're going through. And even just sometimes 
through your openness, through your willingness to share, some of that weight is shed. So even through those groups, being willing to face your fears of, of talking to a few people about something is sometimes enough to, to begin to let it go, to see another opportunity, to see a different way of living or seeing things. So I'm excited for those because it's going to be able to, it's going to allow us to show other people how impactful those are. Because as Ray said, they've been, they've been hidden. <laughs> they're, they're private, which is, you know, one of the huge benefits of it that they aren't shared publicly at all. But at the same time, people really don't understand what they're missing necessarily because it's a, it's a super powerful and just open and, and safe environment to, to grow within yourself. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I, I really am. And then we've got another plan for uh, a call-in show during one of the Tuesdays of the month where people can join us in a queue on Zoom by calling in or clicking through the browser. And then one by one, we'll let you on the show and you can discuss your idea, your insight, your challenge, your question, possibly your grievance, whatever you'd like to do. It'll be your space for about five to 10 minutes and we'll be able to chat with you until you decide to leave or we possibly kick you out. It really depends. So it's going to be a lot like uh, the early days of my relationship with my wife. Uh, yeah, those those are going to be a blast. I love. I just love the Q and A segments because, yeah, they just give us so many opportunities to discuss different insights. And there's so many different people going through so many different things. But at the same time, when it comes down to it, they're most of the things people are going through are not not that different. And so I think when people call in, a lot of people listening will be able to resonate with that in some way, shape or form, and we'll be able to resonate with it in some way, shape or form. And that's the thing that I see with, you know, working with one-on-one -on -one clients or in these group chats is that there's always some way, shape or form that you're able to resonate with any story that anyone gives. It may not be the exact thing that they're going through, or you may not have gone through the exact same situation, but in terms of the feelings they felt, the insecurities they dealt with, things like that, there's oftentimes a lot, a lot of overlap. So yeah, that call-in show is going to be awesome. I'm I'm excited for it. So yeah, can't wait for that. When when is that when is our first one going to be? We were thinking the fourth Tuesday of the month. Okay. Cool. So so no, no, no changes this week because we have enough in the works this week. Our, our guest this week is going to be pretty exciting. That's going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. Uh, aside from that, I have kind of one thing I just wanted to kind of complain about. Not complain about, but I guess laugh about with you because it was probably my favorite conversation that happened yesterday on TikTok. Somebody was making a video about the Big Bang Theory and, and basically they were saying, this is obviously the truth as opposed to God created everything. And I had said something along the lines of, well, it's certainly possible. It seems more likely than most things, but it's still a theory to which everybody, not everybody, but quite a few people responded. That's ridiculous. It's proven. It's absolutely fact. The big bang theory is fact. And they actually said the big bang theory is fact, which I find really funny. And when I said, well, no, it's a theory, therefore not fact, they said, no, 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 it's a scientific theory. Like that changes the nature of the theory itself. 
And that just made me laugh. And so I wanted to share it with you because I've been chuckling about that since yesterday. No, it's a scientific theory. Therefore, fact, it just made me chuckle. And it's, it's again, it's just, I just want to think we know. I just want to think we know. That's all it is. And you can understand that, but it's really important to recognize we don't. Yeah, the cognitive dissonance is just, it blows my mind every single time. And even when someone's able to say theory is fact, like XYZ theory is fact. It's like, it's an oxymoron. You can't have a theory. It's a fact or a fact. It's a theory. They they don't really go together in any way, shape or form. But yeah, it just comes down to us wanting to feel more comfortable. We're so uncomfortable in uncertainty that we just want to make up certainty when it doesn't actually exist. And that is immediately, you know, the, the pitfalls of that are immediately shown as soon as someone questions it. It's like, what do you, you just want to live your life without being questioned. And as soon as you are like, all of a sudden you get thrown off and angry and uncomfortable. And it's just, it's fascinating to me that people still settle on this, but it, it makes sense. Like we don't, we don't like being uncomfortable and yet we don't realize that if we can become comfortable with that discomfort and okay with the uncertainty, then there isn't so much discomfort anymore. But as long as we cling to false certainty, discomfort's always right around the corner. So we're trying to avoid it by holding on to something that's going to make it inevitable as opposed to relaxing into the reality that everything's uncertain, everything's up, up in flux, everything's in question. And then you're not so uncomfortable anymore because you're comfortable in that state of uncertainty. That's always reality. It's always what is here and now. Everything's always uncertain here and now. And it's that clinging to certainty that creates the discomfort that we then try to avoid by clinging to more certainty. It's like, what the fuck? Science, right? Yeah. It's interesting though, right? Because you see the danger. Like science itself is based on a very firm foundation of question everything. Question everything. But that's not how that was interpreted. It was, no, no, science says this is the case. Therefore, it must be the case. So it's almost become its own religion, again, in a lot of ways. If science says it, it must be, right? But it's humans doing science. So it's just as fallible as anything else. But again, we just, we just want to know. We just want to say, nope, this is definitely what it is. And that's it. And again, it, it's interesting. So we were going to watch and review Discover Transcendence this morning. So I'm going to try and cue that up and we're going to see if this works on the on the tech side. Um, as we're going along, of course, if you are in the comments section and you would like to, to ask any questions, feel free to do so. Andrew's watched this a few times, so um, I'm interested to get his thoughts. Wait a second here, share sound. All righty, are we good? Good. All right, let's see if you can hear this. You hear this? Yep. Nice. All right. Just have... 
Welcome to the first section of this five-part series on what I like to call transcendence. We're going to get right into it here, but before we do, I want to take this opportunity to explain very clearly the foundation of what you're going to learn as we continue, and what transcendence is all about. The foundation of transcendence is that our success in anything we will ever try to accomplish, whether you're trying to get through medical school or become a professional wrestler, is ultimately determined not only by how hard we try, or how much time we invest, but by the clarity of our underlying state of mind. And through achieving a state of mind that makes your thinking and insights more precise, your emotions less volatile, and your actions more efficient, anything is possible. But for anything to be possible, we have to have an idea of what we want to achieve. So let's start by talking about success. The idea of success that we're often sold is usually based on the promise that once you have more money and or time, you will be happier. I'm going to stop that there for a second because it just keeps moving along at a good clip. So the point there being that before we do anything, anything, we have to address the state of mind that we're doing it from. And we don't typically think of it that way. Typically, we're just told, just do it, do it harder, convince yourself you can do it, motivate yourself, right? And, and it's, it has nothing to do with the fact that we might be coming from a place that lacks clarity simply because we, we need something so badly. And so this is something I dealt with in coaching over and over and over again with people, just like, how do, I, how do I accomplish my dreams? How do I get to success? How do I get this thing? It's like, well, why are you trying to? What's the reason behind it? Because that's causing a lot of the suffering and it's causing a lot of the reason that you can't get to it because you're not fully in your life. So it's undercutting all of your potential. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how, because like we were talking about with habits and whatnot, this idea of success is just, been assumed by our society and it's rare that people ever question why they want it or what they're really striving for and there was a video i think it was posted on discord like a month ago or so but i finally got around to it um yesterday that was talking about uh the the difference between what society deems to be success and what we feel like is success within ourselves in private, like if we were able to answer that. So everyone assumes that everyone thinks that success is, it was like fame was number one, trying to be famous and then making a lot of money. It was up there or pretty high up. And in private, fame was actually last. Like that was the last indicator of success. And then money was was pretty far down, was not one of the top things either. And so it's just so fascinating how when those habits and those ideas go unquestioned and we just assume things to be true and our idea of what we want or what we think is best for us is is predicated on the validation that we receive from others. If we think that everyone thinks of this idea of success in a certain way, we're almost kind of naturally strive for that without question. So there's a lot to that in terms of letting go and seeing yourself as something that doesn't lack. But if that's not the case, then you know, you're always going to be striving for that idea of success rooted in the idea that you lack here and now. Exactly. Exactly. All right, let's continue on. More freely and all of your problems will magically go away. As a life coach who has worked with many financially successful people, I can tell you that money and even free time just doesn't work that way. True, it gives you the ability to take trips, buy things, and feel like a success because you can seemingly have whatever you want. 
But what it doesn't do is give you the ability to set aside your worries and self-judgment so you can enjoy those trips. It doesn't teach you how to truly appreciate the things that you can now buy, so you constantly need to buy one more thing in the hopes of staying happy. And it doesn't teach you to be happy with who you are before you achieve your goals, making the path to that success miserable and filled with frustration, doubt, and desperation. That's a pretty shallow idea of success. Just the chance to get another unfulfilling job, build more superficial relationships, and buy another bauble while still suffering through the same self-doubt, anxiety, and insecurity? Is that all you deserve in life? I know it's not. And I know from personal experience and the experience of my clients that no matter who you are or what you're going through, you are capable of so much more than you currently think you are. You can have success, fulfillment, and the state of mind to truly enjoy it. You can live the life you know is possible, and you do know it's possible, otherwise you wouldn't be here looking for the way to find it. Part of the trick is accepting that everything up until now has been preparing you for what's next. True, you've been doing things the hard way, battling uphill through challenges around you while carrying a burden within you that you don't know how to put down. But all that means is that you've gained strength, ability, and a heightened appreciation for just how much transcendence will change your life. Now Alright, so, that all said, I think that's the most important part about all of this, is that it doesn't matter what you've been doing up until this point. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've been making a mistake. It doesn't matter if things have been hard and you've been going through this your entire life. All of that has taught you exactly, well, it's kind of like uh, Andrew shaving his face. That's just what you've gotten used to. Suddenly you're going to appreciate an entirely different experience by contrast alone. And that's, the reason this is so powerful is the fact that most of our society doesn't think about any of this. We don't get out of our own way. And so just recognizing that everything you've done up until now is a tool to experience what's next will take away that feeling that maybe you've been wasting time. You can't get here otherwise. You can't get here without going through all that stuff. And, and it's funny because people who are younger who start to get to this point, they still have to go through everything else in their life but they have to apply the lessons where people who've already been through that stuff can apply the lessons almost retroactively. Yeah. And it, the script flips from a resentment for all the things that you've been through to an appreciation for all the things that you've been through. When, when you recognize that it's only ever been here and now, and, and there's no use in resisting or wishing that things had been different. And instead you can actually utilize them and recognize the value and having already experienced all of those things because now you can actually begin to apply them. It's about this point that people will usually ask the question, but what's the catch? Why is this video series free when I make my living by teaching these same principles as a life coach? Because not everyone needs a life coach. Some people just need someone to point them in the right direction. They already have the will, the drive, and the desire for change. They just don't know how to get started down a path that doesn't just go in circles. Everything we're going to discuss in this series revolves around one insight that I was lucky enough to have about 20 years ago. And it's taken most of the time since then to figure out that the easiest way to explain it is this. For most of my life, I believed that happiness was the result of meeting certain standards in our daily lives. I believed that if I had the perfect combination of job, home, identity, and friends, that I could achieve happiness. More importantly, I looked at the world as if everyone thought the same thing, and that comparing my result to theirs would give me a good idea of my value as a person. Let's call this Perception A. After following the path of Perception A to a state of anxiety, depression, loneliness, and spectacularly low self-esteem, 
I found myself in a state where the promise of perception aid no longer seemed worthwhile or even possible. I gave up, and somewhere in that process of giving up I had an insight that made everything else clear. The traits that we most want to experience, happiness, intelligence, confidence, creativity, and empathy, have nothing to do with meeting some invisible standard. They're always available to us. We have simply forgotten how to access those experiences because of a few understandable reasons that we will discuss in the next four videos. Let me give you a quick example. Our minds associate getting what we want with being happy. Now that's not a bad thing because there's nothing wrong with getting what you want. Traveling the world, owning your own home, or realizing your dream of becoming a professional wrestler. These are all great things and you should strive for them if that's what you want. But, there's a common misconception that can turn your drive for personal fulfillment into the cheapened addiction of simply getting what you want. Bigger goals can easily get forgotten in impatience for the quick satisfaction of achieving smaller ones and you go from a mission to experience something fantastic to simply trying to satisfy a craving. What's the misconception that causes this? That getting what you want makes you happy. When we feel unfulfilled or unhappy, we often assume the reason for that feeling is that we lack something. Money, time, attention, companionship, a new car, a bigger house, it could be anything. The important part is that we often assume the reason for our discomfort is that we lack something. What we lack is irrelevant, lack itself is the problem. And the solution to that problem seems simple. Get what you want, and you no longer lack. And without lack, you will surely be happy and fulfilled. And that's partly true, but there's a price. When happiness and fulfillment are tied to getting what we want, then our want becomes a need. And in being needy, we open ourselves up to other types of discomfort, like impatience, frustration, depression, or obsession. And when we do finally get what we want, we feel an immediate relief because we see ourselves as free of the reason for our unhappiness. But after a while, the discomfort returns and we find ourselves following the same thought process but directing it towards a new want in the hopes that satisfying that want will once again provide relief. The discomfort and its temporary relief becomes a repeating cycle and the only logical strategy becomes wanting more. It's a cycle that doesn't end because we misunderstood the original problem. The original discomfort wasn't the result of lacking, it was the result of unconscious behaviors that we are not generally aware of. We assume that we feel better because we got what we wanted, but in truth, we feel better because we've stopped wanting. We've given ourselves permission to feel complete for a while, we just use getting what we want as an excuse for doing so. This will make more sense to you later, but for now let's just say that the things you do in the world will have greater or lesser success based solely on the state of mind that you do them from. Often we make things more complicated than they need to be simply because we don't see that the strategies we rely on are based on our misunderstandings and will often cause more problems that we just don't see coming. And this is the core of transcendence, the realization of our unconscious behaviors so that we can escape the hidden influence and find solutions with less consequence and greater fulfillment. Practicing transcendence brings about a state of intelligence and creativity through every challenge, of empathy and clarity in every relationship, and a state of focus and adaptability that makes even your biggest dreams possible. It's just below the surface waiting for you to figure out how to unleash it. And that's why I'm making this series, because I know three important things. I know it's possible, and I know this firsthand. I know it's awesome, also firsthand. And I know you can do it, because if I can do it, anyone can. The only real question is, how badly do you want to experience something new? And don't take this question lightly, saying you want to change is easy, but the only way to experience something truly new is to be ready to abandon what you already know. 
Are you ready to give up the world you've become so familiar with so you can discover the life of wealth, fulfillment, happiness and freedom that you already know is possible? And be honest with yourself, this journey is not for the faint of heart. Commitment is the single biggest factor in how successful you're going to be in both learning and applying transcendence principles. So if you're ready, let's continue on to section number two. So I got to say, I really enjoyed making this video for a number of reasons. And it was mostly because I got to play with all those clips and the soundtrack and stuff like that. But the other point was the fact that I was trying to come up with a way to summarize the simplicity of getting out of our own way. I'm going to stop sharing the screen for now so we can actually just chat for a bit because that was section one. So when I originally made this series, it was actually meant to be broken up into three to five weeks. You could watch section one, take a week off, kind of take it in because I really did mean it in that first section. This isn't for the faint of heart. This isn't for somebody who's just looking for a way to feel better. Once you start questioning yourself, once you start questioning everything that you've relied on for false certainty, it's an ongoing path. Everything else starts to fall apart. And so you must develop faith in yourself. You must develop the recognition that you can adapt. Right? So for anybody on this path, you're a warrior just by virtue of you being willing to be on it. Yeah, because there is, as you said in that section, in order to experience something new, you have to abandon everything you already know. And so there is a sense of abandonment, a sort of, a sort of death of everything that you believe to be the truth of everything you cling to for that occasional comfort that's oftentimes just a lot of discomfort and you know constant negative emotions and, and resistance and whatnot but in order to experience anything new you have to abandon all those things that you think you know and so there is a sort of faith in yourself just from taking the step that that you need but yeah that that section uh because i've listened to this a number of times now and it's funny watching it now because i've never actually watched it i just would listen to it and like put my phone in my pocket uh on a walk or something but uh yeah so i love i love all the clips but yeah the part about recognizing that it's not getting what you want that makes you happy but not wanting that makes you happy and that that hit me so hard and it was like oh my god so the key really isn't getting the thing it's just not wanting the thing and that's where that state of fulfillment comes in and it makes so much sense when you recognize it when you say it but before then it's it's like our ego can't understand that and like the excuse of getting what we want allows us to be happy because we temporarily stop wanting it's like our ego needs an excuse to stop wanting it needs that accomplishment in order to temporarily until that kind of wears off and then it's just on to the next on to the next on to the next and most of us live our entire lives in that loop Absolutely. Without knowing that we're in that loop. And so the recognition is one thing. And it's funny because in this video, I call it transcendence. And the reason is because I was coaching at the time and the name of my company was Transcendence Life Coaching. So I was, I was marketing. I'll be honest about it. Right. And admittedly, transcendence itself, the word transcendence implies going beyond the level that you're currently at. And that's often our problem is that we're trying to cope with thoughts with more thoughts. We're trying to deal with our insecurities 
and we're creating more insecurity because of the way that we're trying to deal with our insecurity. And so it really is just recognizing that that's happening, recognizing that there's a problem and maybe that we're not seeing it because we're so invested in the way that we currently live. That all said, then comes the rest of the pile, which is what the, the rest of the video is really all about, because it's one thing to recognize this, it's one thing to talk about this, but in application, you will continue to backslide, as it, as it were. You will continue to fall back in to this old way of thinking, and it will feel like you're crawling uphill through mud. And so the rest of the video is, is dealing with the three reasons, or at least the three dominant reasons that that is the case, because it has nothing to do with you. It's not that you're doing something wrong. It's that your brain works in a specific way. And that way is meant to help you, but it's a very simplistic way of helping you. And so it's actually tripping you up. So Andrew, unless you'd like to toss anything back in, we'll go back into the video. Congratulations, you've made it to the second section of this series and by continuing on made a symbolic commitment to changing your life. Not a commitment to me, but to you. Because the important thing to remember here is that this is your life. If it's not important to you, who should it be important to? Because it is so important, I want to be straight with you from the start and tell you very seriously that this information isn't just about feeling better. It's information that can give you the strength to face any challenge or tragedy and the clarity to surpass every obstacle. This is life-changing stuff to anyone who's ready for it. Now I know I'm making some big claims for a free video series, but I promise that if you stick around until the end, you will see exactly what I mean. Your brain is a tool. It works in a specific way and for a specific purpose, like a chainsaw. But also like a chainsaw, not understanding how it works or how dangerous it can be can lead to unintended consequences, and mastery of it can lead to something beautiful. This video series is going to cover the three cognitive behaviors that most limit your life, and by the end, give you tips on how to use those behaviors to your advantage. Let's call them Transcendence Hacks. This section is all about habits, and how they affect our daily lives. Now don't worry, I'm not going to tell you which habits are good and which habits are bad. I'm simply going to talk about how our ability to create and break habits might be useful on our path to transcendence. It's important to remember that your brain is made to form and break habits based on what you perceive is best for you, and it does so using a mechanism called the habit loop. The habit loop is a neurological loop that governs any habit. It consists of three elements, a cue, a routine, and a reward. The more you do something that you feel is beneficial, the more your brain adapts to make that thing easier to do. And when you deliberately stop doing something habitual because you recognize a consequence, the brain once again rewires itself to avoid doing that thing. The brain does this naturally as a way of making itself more efficient. If it helps, think of the brain as a well-designed computer with parts for different functions. It uses the prefrontal cortex for decision-making and the basal ganglia for memories, pattern recognition, and habits. Now, when it can rely solely on the basal ganglia, it does so, and the prefrontal cortex becomes less involved. 
Now this is good news and bad news because it means that you can, through will and focus, develop a habit that helps you for years to come. And your brain's tendency to rely on the basal ganglia will maintain the habit and refine it to make it more efficient as you get older. But it also means that you can, through ignorance or confusion, create habits that create unexpected consequences like anxiety, depression, or low self-esteem. And the basal ganglia will once again reinforce those behaviors instead. So how do we know which habits help and which don't? By looking back at the habit loop itself. Each habit starts with some kind of discomfort or cue, and then a strategy or routine is created for dealing with it. Control, judgment, looking for external validation, looking to the future, looking to the past. These are all simple strategies that we use to deal with everyday discomforts, and on the surface they appear to work or offer a reward. Feeling in control will alleviate your anxiety. Judgment of others or validation from others will alleviate self-doubt and loneliness. And focusing on the past or the future will make the present less overwhelming. This is all true, but outside of that initial benefit and the short-term release of discomfort, these strategies go on to create other consequences that we often overlook simply because the discomfort they cause seems unrelated. As I mentioned in the first section, our belief in wanting as a strategy for relieving discomfort creates a habit that makes wanting more and more important, while simultaneously making the achievement of those wants less and less rewarding. A loop is created where the strategy actually helps reinforce the problem that it was originally meant to solve. Belief in looking to the future as a means of motivation leads to impatience, disappointment, frustration, and depression. Belief in the past as a measure of what's possible leads to feelings of limitation, envy, and blame. Belief in control as a path to optimal satisfaction leads to anxiety over the loss of that control. And belief that value comes from how much you accomplish leads to restlessness, agitation, stress, and a growing inability to relax. But because we see that the action has or promises an immediate solution to what we perceive as our primary fear, we tend to ignore the long-term consequences as unrelated. The more we believe in the payoff, the more likely we are to determine that that action is appropriate for whatever new uncertainty we find ourselves facing. It becomes easier to rely on and becomes a habit or a reaction. And after a while, the habit itself offers the comfort of familiarity, and an addiction is born. An excellent example of this is a simple mistake that often results in toxic relationships and marriages. The common belief that happiness can only be found through a romantic relationship or marriage offers the hope that the discomfort of being alone will disappear once you have a partner to support you. This very subtle thought can create a habit of codependence, where one party grows dependent on the other for validation and becomes increasingly dissatisfied with whatever attention they are given. A toxic loop is formed, wherein one party has unreasonable expectations and the other party becomes resentful. Now because the relationship is seen as the sole solution to the discomfort of being alone, both parties continue the loop of expectation, validation, and dissatisfaction, regardless of the obvious fact that the relationship itself is far more uncomfortable than being alone ever was. I don't want to stop there because that that's that's it. That really is it. A habit, if not resisted, soon becomes necessity because our brain makes it so. And this is something listening to it. You wouldn't have caught all these little quotes that come up on the screen, but there's quite a few because it's not like this is a new conversation. It's just not something that we we've, we've been paying attention to. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know even going through it now, like I think I've listened to this probably four or five times and it's just there's so much in it like try i'm taking some notes as we go to just make sure i remember the some of the stuff that we we go through but yeah it's it's so interesting how 
because things, as it said a couple minutes ago, provided an immediate solution, we discount the long-term detriment and issues that stem from that. And, and we don't look beyond that because it gives us that immediate satisfaction. We think it's just the way it is because we don't want to question things. We think, oh yeah, there's some short-term gratification, long-term issues, but you know that's just how it is because this is the way that we've gotten so accustomed to living because we don't question those habits. So well, they feel good, right? They they feel good. Why would we question them? We that's the whole point. We just want to feel better, but we don't recognize the brain doesn't recognize that feeling better is different than getting better. It's different than changing, and it's not it's not the fault of the brain. I mean, it it's always looked at pleasure as something that we should pursue, and pain is something we should avoid. I mean, that's that's the that's the simplistic duality of a biological life form, right? But once you start to see a little beyond that, when you start recognizing that it actually creates some damage for you, it's a different story, as we'll see right here. According to the Arizona Council of Compulsive Gambling, this behavior is identified as the second stage of compulsive gambling, where the addict will increasingly rely on previous strategies and ignore larger consequences in the hope of a big payoff at the end. It's described as a self-delusional state and results in the addict losing much more often than he wins, and consequently betting even more money in the frantic race to win it all back, a practice known as chasing his losses. The ACCG goes on to warn that it's at this point that other types of deceptive and negative behavior occur. Without being aware of our brain's tendency to create... And that's the thing. Getting what you want is an addiction. Feeling better is an addiction. And when you've invested in a certain strategy or you've invested in a certain way of dealing with the world or dealing with yourself, thinking about yourself for so long, just by virtue of it becoming familiar, it becomes addictive. And so when it, start, when it starts to fall apart, when all of a sudden that strategy is not working, like being controlling, for example, in a relationship, the relationship will start to fall apart. But you will actually double down on that control just because you're so familiar with it as a strategy, just because you're so used to it working in other senses. And even though it's destroying things in your life, because it's familiar, you'll go back to control. So you're chasing your losses. You're like, no, if I just keep doing this, eventually it's going to work. Eventually it's going to work. And we do that quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, again, going unquestioned, not recognizing, not being willing to look beyond just the immediate satisfaction and recognize, oh, there could be some pitfalls to this. And so constantly remaining curious and in that state of questioning is so important in order to recognize the detriments create and rely on habits in this way, it becomes very easy to simply fall into a routine of comfortable reactions and familiar perceptions. Without awareness of habit as a mechanism, it becomes easy to confuse our mechanistic reactions for our personality, rather than just the result of our brain trying to be comfortable and efficient. But what happens when we are aware that our brain is creating habits? Our habits change. If I can simply realize why I need to feel more valuable, more in control, or more accepted, if I can let go of my attachments to the end result that seems so important, then I can retain my ability to see and avoid the consequences that are coming. Now I've created a pattern of self-awareness that creates an entirely new experience in every facet of my life. And the best part? The more I do it, the easier it gets. And that leads us to transcendence hack number one. 
Mastering habits requires you to be aware that they are always forming, breaking down, or being reinforced because they appear beneficial and the brain is trying to reduce discomfort and uncertainty. It's not a bad thing unless you forget that it's happening and the consequences turn you into someone that you normally wouldn't be. Breathe before you act. Before you react to something, ask yourself how many times you've relied on that reaction before. What were you trying to accomplish? And in that split second that you don't react because you've questioned the reaction itself, a new choice is available. Doing this will build a constant state of awareness that takes practice at first but will eventually become second nature. The only thing it requires is time and attention. How much time and attention depends upon mastering another behavior which I will discuss with you in the next section. because that's just it is that it's one thing to recognize that you're always forming habits it's one thing to understand that you can break those habits it's another thing to understand what those habits are based on right which is ultimately what helps you identify them. if you don't recognize that something's happening it's very difficult to recognize that it's happening right and so by understanding that your brain is also trying to do one other thing it makes the habits make more sense and so when i design this video i did so in stages hoping to lead from one insight to the next to the next so that way you can understand that they're all connected they're all connected all three of the behaviors we're going to talk about in this video are all working against you despite working for you yeah and if if the root of those habits which i can't remember if the video gets to this specific point is you know rooted in the idea of yourself and, and thinking that that's where the value is coming from, then it's always going to be that, that state of need and that state of unfulfillment until you recognize that your value isn't predicated on that idea. Exactly. There we are, section three. Certainty. So by now you've started looking for habits in your own behavior and most likely you've started noticing them in others as well. What's important to remember is that we actually have interwoven layers of habit affecting one another all the time. Our habits of control affect our habits of need, which in turn affect our habits of competition, which can then, if things don't go as we want for a long period of time, create or reinforce habits of depression and self-judgment. It can all seem very confusing unless you can identify a common root, and that's where transcendence hack number two comes in. In the last video, I asked you to not only watch for your habitual reactions, but to also, if possible, ask why they were there to begin with. What is the benefit that makes each habit or reaction so tempting? What could possibly lure us into the same trap over and over again and make us willing to completely overlook any potential consequence? The answer is more simple than you might think. Our deepest sense of uncertainty doesn't come from fear of the future or fear of the unknown. It comes from the fear of not knowing who we are. And to answer that question, we use a very simple mechanism, identification. The mechanism of identification is the reason we form our most destructive habits. To put it simply, it's our ability to take a simple mistake, frustration, or an unfortunate event and turn that into a believable reflection of our own value. It's the behavior that can turn almost anything into a self-defining concept and turn the smallest issues into the biggest problems. Low self-esteem is a perfect example. 
People who suffer from low self-esteem or low self-worth feel that their perception of themselves is absolute truth. It's not that they feel like they're worthless. They think they feel that way because it's the truth, and often their actions justify their beliefs as a result. Even if that low self-esteem came from childhood abuse or a situation that was completely beyond their control at the time, they still think it's the truth simply because their self-concept makes it impossible for them to see and take advantage of opportunities that would otherwise be obvious to them. Just like with the mechanism of forming habits, understanding the mechanism of identification is the way to transcending it. And understanding it means discussing why the brain developed it to begin with. We know the brain develops habits for the very simple convenience of not having to completely reanalyze every experience anew. By working with habits, the brain is able to reuse old information to make similar tasks easier, and ideally free up attention and energy for new insights and observations. So to be clear, the brain's behavior of forming habits is not a bad thing. It's a really cool tool, and the reason that you can parallel park while having a conversation. But, like the chainsaw we mentioned earlier, not understanding that tool and using it carelessly can lead to serious problems. And the mechanism of identification is very similar. It forms the most basic level of certainty and it provides us with a way to feel less confusion about the world and our role within it. A simple exercise here is standing in front of a mirror and writing down a list of 10 or 20 things that you think someone you had just met might notice or say about you. When you're done, go through the list and write a plus or a minus sign beside each point to indicate whether you see that point as a positive one or a negative one. Go ahead and pause the video and give it a try. Oh, you're on mute. Okay, so to anybody who's watching or listening to this, whatever, um, I encourage you to do this exercise. This is actually a really easy way of seeing how easy it is to fall into the idea that you can be evaluated by a concept. If you sit in front of the mirror and you actually think to yourself, what would a stranger see talking to me or, or looking at me? And you go through that list of assumptions you're going to recognize that you view some of them as positive and view some of them as negative because they're self-defining. And that is largely the part of your self-concept. So I definitely encourage you to do that. List as many as you can. You'll recognize exactly how many are in there because there are infinite concepts about yourself that you can invest in as truth. Yeah. And again, when they go unquestioned, it just becomes another habitual idea, but yeah, going through that whole section, I was just thinking like, when you stop thinking about yourself so much, the suffering more or less stops the psychological suffering. And it's like, it's that simple, but it's such a strong habit. And we almost don't even recognize that it's a possibility to not think about ourselves all the time that we just keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're told that's what we should do. And there's a reason that we do as we get into the next section. Continue. You see that list of observations and the positive and negative perceptions you have of each one? What you've just identified is a small part of the pattern that defines you. It's your reference for what you feel are your strengths, your weaknesses, your preferences, and your personality. Now this self-image or self-concept is commonly referred to as the ego and it's made up of variations of negative and positive perceptions according to how you assume it would compare to someone else who is most likely fictitious.
This habitual identity is the lens with which you create and maintain all of your other habits. It's the reason that you judge yourself or fear judgment from others. It's the reason you fear being alone or unloved. It's the reason that you're here watching this video. Your identity is actually a habit that can never be satisfied because it exists as a solution to a problem which is absolutely unsolvable. Uncertainty. Identification creates a point of origin. It answers the question, who am I in all of this? Unfortunately, it does so by using the very simple and crudely inefficient mechanism of comparison. As we grow up and experience new things and meet new people, we are able to make more comparisons and over time we develop a very well-formed and efficient habit of seeing ourselves a certain way in relation to how we perceive everyone else. Unfortunately, because it is in relation to everyone else, there is the danger of having those perceptions influenced by need or fear. Developmental psychologist Jane Lovinger theorized that our sense of identity or our ego should go through numerous stages in its development. Stage 1 is pre-social and involves establishing the understanding that we are separate from everything and everyone around us. With that separation comes fear, so stage 2 is impulsive or selfish because we judge everything according to whether or not our wants and our needs are being satisfied. By stage 3 our ego is self-protective and attempts to establish a basic sense of certainty through comparison to others and reliance on a morally prescribed, rigidly enforced, unchanging order basis for its judgment. If maintained for too long, an older child or adult who remains in this stage may become opportunistic, deceptive, or preoccupied with control. At this stage, morality is essentially a matter of anticipating rewards and punishments, with the motto, don't get caught. And finally, stage four is conformity. This is where we attempt to further establish certainty by investing time and energy into obtaining approval from peers that we feel share our moral code and judging those that don't as inferior. Lovinger described this stage as having the greatest cognitive simplicity. There is a right way and a wrong way and it's the same for everyone or broad classes of people. This stage is dependent on division and comparison so empathy and understanding are very difficult. How can you relate to others when your focus is on building, maintaining and defending your own sense of self? Now think for a moment about your own self-perceptions, and ask yourself if any of them stem from a need to protect yourself from judgment or to gain approval from others. Most likely they do. It's actually very common. Now this next part is really going to blow your mind. There are six more stages. We've barely scratched the surface of our development, and with the knowledge that an undeveloped ego is the root of our most destructive habits, that is an exciting revelation. At stage 5, the ego undergoes a radical transformation by becoming self-aware without need or protection as its primary motivators. Lovinger considered this self-aware transitional stage to be the model for adults in our society, and thought that few passed the stage before at least the age of 25. With less fear and need, the ego becomes a tool rather than a master. An individual at stage 5 has an increase in self-awareness and the capacity to imagine multiple possibilities and situations. And I wanted to mention very quickly that it's so very interesting because the reason that we're able to empathize, the reason we're able to work better with others at stage five is simply because we've abandoned this idea that there is a right way and a wrong way to live based on our need to evaluate ourselves and protect ourselves and fit in. That's the only thing that's changed. As soon as we question that need to fit in, as soon as we question that sense that we are not enough on our own. Our empathy expands, our awareness expands. It's almost immediate, it's part of the same process and yet we don't look at it that way. Yeah, and I, I really like the part where you say uncertainty is an unsolvable, unsolvable problem. And so that comparison mechanism is used as a way to try and solve the unsolvable problem.
of uncertainty. And then we get caught in valuing based on that comparison. And it's just a never ending loop that can never actually get you to comfort. It's just a constant state of discomfort and trying to fix it through comparing yourself to others and therefore valuing yourself based on all of those comparisons. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not a bad thing. It's what the brain's doing just to give you some sense that you know what's going on. It's just, again, when we overinvest in it as truth, everything gets, everything goes sideways. As well as a deepened interest in interpersonal relations. And of course, stages six through 10 describe an even greater sense of freedom, strength, and ability where the ego is increasingly used as a tool for insight and not perceived as a measure of our actual value or worth. And that switch from establishing a sense of certainty through comparison to a state where our mindset is based on self-reflection is the foundation of transcendence hack number two. Always keep in mind that your identity is false as long as it is in comparison to your assumptions of others and that any attachment you might have to that identity is largely based on the comfort it provides as a habit. Remember that a habit only continues unquestioned until it's noticed as a consequence. Your recognition that your ego is the source of your worst habits and is only a habit in itself is the key to transcending it. Ask yourself this, if your identity is the story you tell yourself, what happens when you stop telling that story? You unlock your potential. You free up huge amounts of energy and attention for new insights, strategies, and actions that will make the difference between success and failure. Athletes often refer to this as the zone, and we've all experienced it at some time or another. It's that state of mind where you seem to be in perfect sync with the requirements of the task before you. Each decision, each movement, and each insight is spot on, and for a time it feels like life itself is effortless. This is what it's like to live without self-doubt, limitation, or fear, and that state is what makes wealth, abundance, and purpose so achievable. Each habit or pattern within us creates a layer of confusion between ourselves and transcendence, and each habit that we discard makes room for more of our brilliance to shine through. But remember not to judge yourself when you see the ego that you've created. That's just adding another layer to it. Remember that our ego is a tool that we have used to ease our fear and confusion as we grew up in a world that we didn't understand. We didn't do anything wrong, but now we've found some new information, and the habits that we formed can be let go of so something else can take their place. Your potential comes from removing the prison walls. Don't believe the story you tell yourself. It's based on assumptions and will only continue to lead you down the path that you're already on. Admit that you don't know, and in the next section we'll talk about how to make that easier to accept. And that's really the crux of it. It's understanding that regardless of your brain's need to feel like it does know, it never does. It never can. Your idea of yourself is never the truth of who you are. And as long as you don't get into the habit of believing the idea of yourself, you're free. And that's when your attention is on the present. That's when you are actually in what you're doing. And that's when you can start to see how capable you are because you're actually in what you're doing. Half your attention's not split, if not more than half your attention split into some fiction, simply because that fiction has been dragging you down for so long. It's fascinating, even just hearing that and, and talking about it, just how much time we spend thinking about ourselves. And it's to the point that people can't even understand why they would do something if it wasn't to validate or 
build the idea of themselves and they don't recognize that's a double-edged sword as soon as they're doing something to validate themselves or build up the idea of themselves if that goes sideways that idea of themselves is torn down and and the reality is that you don't have to keep telling yourself that story you don't have to keep thinking about yourself you can actually do things without so much self-involvement and you start doing things for the sake of doing them it's still you doing them but without the story without all of that cut attention and you can actually fully be involved in them and see what your potential is actually capable of and it really is just that simple but again it's practice because you've spent so long practicing the opposite you've practiced building your ego investing in that ego as a necessity of you growing up in the world right so it takes time to to disempower that habit which we'll get into next Up until this point, we've been talking about the brain as a mechanism for survival, and discussing how understanding the brain's behaviors can give us greater freedom from any of the influences these behaviors have on our happiness, our potential, our goals, and our lives as a whole. In short, we've been looking at the brain as a machine, and as with a chainsaw, we're decreasing the danger and damage it can cause by learning how to use it properly. What you're going to notice as you learn, practice, and adopt the first two transcendence hacks is that your old mentality won't simply disappear because you want it to. Your old reactions and perceptions will pop up, and you will once again be tempted by the false security and comfort that they offer. This is completely normal. Transcendence hack number three requires us to go a step further and to understand that our brain has another behavior that makes our ego and our habits almost appear to have a life of their own because of their resistance to being changed. For example, Someone who has recently quit smoking because they recognize that it's unhealthy will still feel the same temptation to smoke when they're exposed to one of their old triggers like stress, drinking, or socializing. Someone who suffers from compulsive eating will still feel the temptation to reach for a snack when they're exposed to their old triggers like feeling bored, lonely, or defeated. Even seeing an old friend will often bring about old behaviors and reactions. And it can seem like our old habits are fighting back, but in truth our brain is once again just trying to be helpful. In the early 1600s, Galileo was threatened with imprisonment and eventually sentenced to house arrest for life by the Catholic Church for his support of the idea that the Earth rotated around the Sun. Why would that threaten the Church? Because in several parts of the Bible it implies that the Earth is fixed and immovable in space. So to the Catholic Church, Galileo was not only saying that the common perception of our solar system was incorrect, he was also implying that the Bible itself was wrong. Now you might think that the Church's reaction was a bit extreme, but the world was a very different place at the time. Life was much more uncertain for people. At this point in history, the people of Western Europe had to live under the constant fear of sin and the possibility of death, in a world that was largely lawless, full of corrupt monarchs, and difficult in the extreme. And because of that, many relied on the church to ease their fears of the world around them, and to provide some sense of certainty and purpose in their lives. The church, fearing how people would respond to doubt, forced Galileo to renounce his heliocentric beliefs or be imprisoned. Now take a moment to think about that. One simple contradiction was able to threaten an entire empire because it cast doubt on the entire structure of its identity and the comfort of its habitual beliefs. When we hold on to something as our protection from fear, uncertainty, and responsibility, it becomes very difficult to question the validity of what we're holding on to. This difficulty or discomfort is known as cognitive dissonance. 
1957, Leon Festinger introduced the theory. And I want to stop for just a brief moment and talk about cognitive dissonance because this is a force all its own. It's the reason we feel uncomfortable. It is actually the feeling of discomfort when we question something that we, we usually rely on for a sense of certainty or a sense of value. It's actually difficult for our brain to switch gears and it creates some discomfort as we do so. Like there's this, this gap between who we are and who we're becoming. And as we transfer, as we transition from that, that one state to the other, there's this period of resistance based on the familiar. Again, it's just based on what's addictive and familiar. And so we're going to talk about that in the next section. I just wanted to talk about that very quickly, though, because it's important to recognize that if you're, if you're struggling, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's just because that's part of the process. That struggle will eventually become easier just by virtue of you continuing to go through it. Yeah, it, it keeps coming up, but just the constant state of questioning is, is so important because it's, it's not always figuring it out, but recognizing what you're holding on to that you believed to be the truth that you can actually let go of and recognizing that there's not long-term discomfort in that state, but a state of comfort that comes with relaxing into that state of constant uncertainty. Three of cognitive dissonance saying, cognitive dissonance can be seen as an antecedent condition which leads to activity oriented towards dissonance reduction, just as hunger leads towards activity oriented towards hunger reduction. Essentially, if something makes you uncomfortable, your brain will do what it can to relieve that discomfort through various defensive mechanisms. The greater the discomfort, the greater the defensive reaction. And as we discussed in the previous section, the greatest dissonance or discomfort is caused by thoughts that directly impact our sense of identity, because those thoughts and perceptions give us our sense of value, worth, and certainty. So without understanding hack number two, our belief in the ego as a reflection of our true value creates a parallel need to protect it because our sense of security and comfort depends on it. Because we see the ego as necessary for our survival, our brain continues protecting, maintaining, and restoring it. Adolf Hitler knew this mechanism very well and relied upon it as a means of changing public opinion. He took advantage of the Great Depression and exaggerated the fears of his listeners only to then reassure them that he alone could restore their dignity and happiness. He kept it simple, and he knew that the brain's mechanism of trying to reduce cognitive dissonance would do the rest. The behavior of reducing cognitive dissonance is not in itself a bad thing. It's our brain's way of trying to maintain a manageable level of stress in situations that may otherwise feel overwhelming. But when our discomfort comes from a false threat to our false identity, and we take that seriously, we risk making that reaction a habit. And as a habit, defending the ego creates a downward spiral. us to transcendence hack number three. As with habits and identification, being aware of the behavior as it happens is the key to transcending cognitive dissonance reduction. There are typically four ways that we try to deal with the discomfort of having our identity threatened. Denial, avoidance, vilification, and justification.
Until our ego is developed enough to question itself consistently, the mechanisms that we use to deal with cognitive dissonance will be reflective of our need to self-validate. For example, someone who uses control as a strategy for dealing with anxiety might, upon being called a control freak by a coworker, go through thoughts like this. I'm not controlling, that person is just lazy. I'm allowed to be controlling once in a while if it means getting the job done. That person doesn't know anything because they have some trait that I cannot relate to and therefore have assumptions about that reinforce my identity. None of these strategies do anything to help develop the ego in a healthy way or to disrupt the habit of identification as a whole. They are completely focused on making that person feel right, justified, and valuable through continuing to defend, reinforce, and maintain a state of mind that is in itself still threatened, judgmental, and isolated. And if repeated, these thoughts can become a habit, and the time between feeling better and feeling threatened becomes shorter and shorter. This downward spiral creates an ever-increasing amount of stress, and therefore makes it even more difficult to find the clarity to transcend it. It is incredibly important to remember that your most destructive habits stem from your identity, and that your brain will fight to maintain them so long as you view your identity as the source of your value. The brain is not doing this because your identity reflects the truth. It's doing it because you continue to view it as such. We have spent a lifetime developing our identity and the habits that protect it, so it's going to be tempting to rely on those habits as you apply and practice Transcendence Hacks number 1 and 2. You are going to be challenging, reevaluating, and changing each habit as you become aware of them in your day-to-day -day lives, so your ego will be under the constant threat of uncertainty. And as you deprogram your old habits, it will cause some discomfort, which will trigger the brain's urge to relieve that discomfort through comparison, justification, or judgment. Always keep in mind that your strength and potential is found in discomfort and uncertainty. The more willing you are to question your habits, the easier they are to break. The ego offers the promise of false security and control, but it cannot get rid of its own fragile nature, and it's much easier to defeat it than it seems. In fact, the safety net that you have created in your mind won't take nearly as long to unravel as it did to build. Be patient and practice. Change is happening. And remember, no matter how much the church might have wished for it, Galileo being in prison did not stop the earth from traveling around the sun. Fun fact, Galileo was eventually pardoned by the Pope, Pope John Paul II, in 1992, 350 years after he died. It's the thought that counts, though. Where Transcendence Hacks number 1 and 2 provide awareness of how we're being pushed and pulled, it's hack number 3 that truly sets us free. The basis of this hack is courage, and your decision to stop being afraid of your own potential. By surrendering the false safety of your ego and habitual thoughts, you are opening your eyes to the world as it really is. With less energy wasted on defending yourself from false threats and chasing false promises, you will have the energy, clarity, insight, and enthusiasm that you need to create the life that you deserve. As practice, between now and the final section of this series, I want you to think about the story you've told yourself so far. Who you are, what you're capable of, what you want, and so on. How much of it is true, and how much of it is just familiar, habitual, or based solely on comparison? What makes you the most uncomfortable to question? Use the comment section below to discuss your insights. And remember to pat yourself on the back from time to time. It takes courage to move forward into the unknown, to leave behind life as you know it to discover what's possible. This is the mentality of our greatest adventurers, inventors, philosophers, scientists, and spiritual teachers. The state of mind that doesn't simply wish for comfort and certainty, but lives for the discovery of whatever lies beyond what we already know.
So it's really interesting because I think the part I was trying to communicate, and it didn't sim simplify for me for, until about two or three years later after making this video, um, was the fact that when we identify with our image of ourself, when we identify with a concept, with a fiction, when we actually think that that idea is who we are, our brain doesn't understand the difference between that idea and our body. And so it actually reacts the same way when that, that idea is threatened as it would if our body was threatened. And I know we've discussed this previously on the podcast, but it hadn't simplified to that when I made that video. So that's very much what I was trying to get across is that so long as you don't understand that the idea of you isn't you, you will always and habitually respond when it's threatened. You will always and habitually respond when you feel a, a lack of value or a lack of certainty by reinvesting in it. You really do have to understand that it goes nowhere. Yeah, and there, there was a quote earlier in that section, something about uh, lying to yourself and like, don't lie to yourself, basically. And so our, our identity is always a lie to ourself. That idea of ourself is never the reality of what we are here and now. So as long as we're holding on to that identity and using that as our source of validation and comfort and all of that, we're relying upon a lie in order to get all of those things. So even just recognizing that, that your idea of yourself is never the truth of what you are. It utilizes the tools we talk about so often, but as long as you're holding on to it, believing that it's true, you're only ever lying to yourself and reinforcing that lie every time you defend it and use it to soothe your fear and discomfort. And then we wonder why our efforts fail. We wonder why we don't get more out of what we try. We wonder why our relationships aren't more authentic or based on anything real like we wonder why we get blindsided by things we wonder why and it's because we're not actually in reality we're not in reality we are in this fiction that our brain is creating out of necessity and we don't understand that it's doing that because there's no manual that comes with living so this is interesting we are actually going into the last section of this video where we talk more or less about what's possible as we get this, I just want to say as we go into this that uh, I appreciate everybody following along with us as we give our commentary on this video. I created this, I think, about five years ago now. Uh, so it's really exciting for me to be able to go through this with Andrew and with everybody here. We will get to the questions in the comments section uh, very shortly, but it's just great to get some feedback and to see this off the shelf and doing something good in the world, as it were. If anybody is wondering, you can find this on YouTube at any point by just looking for Discover Transcendence. Congratulations on making it to the last section of this series. When we started this series, we talked about the very real possibility that there is a state of mind available to us at all times that enables us to perform, feel, and experience life at our very best. Developmental psychologist John H. Flavel described it as metacognition, a state of higher level cognition wherein the subject is aware of their own awareness, or able to think about the behavior of their thinking, in order to develop strategies for improved learning, performance, and cognitive regulation. Although not transcendence in itself, developing metacognition through practicing the hacks we've discussed in this series will allow you to see and stop the habits that are trying to protect your false sense of identity and therefore wasting energy before they get out of hand. 
So I want to make a note, actually. The reason I say that metacognition is not transcendence itself is because metacognition is just the act of sitting back a little further and observing your thoughts and the nature of your thought rather than getting caught up in every thought. It's observing how your thoughts work. And that will lead you to transcendence. And I say transcendence kind of tongue in cheek, but it will lead you to letting go. It will lead you to the recognition that you can let go. And it will lead you to the recognition that your thoughts are not reality, that they actually do have a rhyme and a reason that has nothing to do with the fact of what is and everything to do with this growing context of who you are and where you are and what the hell is going on. That's all your brain is trying to figure out. And so I just wanted to mention that very quickly that metacognition is not transcendence simply because you are still involved in your thought, but it is a lot more fun than dwelling on your ego. Um, yeah, and, and it seems to me like just in this context that metacognition is is like the extent you can go in this realm while holding on to the idea of yourself. Like it's kind of the edge before you let go of the idea of yourself as truth. You're still very much able to hold on to that idea. And that's why I think it's, you know, commonplace in our society is that's like kind of, kind of our peak, you know, metacognition, but there's a step beyond when we stop relying on our idea of ourself taken as truth. For sure. It's kind of like the difference between philosophy and just the state that philosophy is trying to describe being. Being able to see the habit in action changes how you respond and creates a different outcome. Failures become successes, habits become lessons, and obstacles become opportunities for growth. For example, rather than dealing with fear of judgment through control or vilification, transcendence hack number two reminds us that our view of others is dependent on our view of ourselves. We know that identification twists our perception to suit its needs and alleviate discomfort. So any judgment is based on assumption and need. It is not based on truth and should not be feared. This is true for your assumptions of others and their assumptions of you. Whether you're being judgmental or experiencing judgment from someone else, the solution is the same. Try to show compassion and patience. The stronger the judgment, the greater the need for its security. If it's your need, noticing it is the first step to removing it. None of this will happen overnight. It's going to take practice and time for metacognition to become second nature. And until that point, your very best strategy for success is keeping to the three simple hacks that we've discussed so far. Every time you interrupt a self-defining thought pattern or notice a habit, you free up energy for insight, intelligence, creativity, and success. I didn't want to say it at the beginning of this video series because it would have sounded unbelievable, but I would like to take the opportunity now to guarantee that if you practice the insights in this video series with enthusiasm and good intention, your life will change. Even if nothing else changed about your life, the idea of living with less stress, doubt, and worry should be enough to make these insights worthy of your attention. And I mean that. I sincerely mean that. Even if none of what you want in life were to happen, regardless let's just say you don't become a millionaire you don't end up with a giant house you don't end up with I, I i don't even know that that fancy car none of that but you just experience less stress but you just worry less about yourself you just experience a little less of that confusion and that dissonance that goes along with thinking that you are your idea of yourself like you just feel a little bit more free isn't that worth it isn't that just worth the effort of questioning yourself a bit Nothing else has to change if you think about it, if the quality of your life immediately improves. Yeah, it reminds me of the quote, who has more, the man who has everything or the man who wants nothing. And 
I would argue the man who, who wants nothing because, and, and even that, like through this video, like that's as it almost seems like that's more difficult when we're caught up in the idea of ourselves to let go of the, the want for anything, but it's, it's right there. Like it's, it's right on the other side of letting go of the idea of yourself. And it's, it's very easily, uh, or it's simply recognizable. It's not always the easiest thing to get to, but through all of this, it's, it's definitely, uh, achievable. The fact that your improved state of mind will create improvements in your career, your relationships, and your general level of happiness is just an awesome perk. But remember that none of the hacks that we've discussed up until this point will help without your commitment to transcendence itself. Without a constant commitment to realizing a state of mind that is free of any influence or compulsion, a state of total authenticity and potential, the insights we've discussed will become lost and unimportant. And if life had an ultimate purpose, it would be the realization of that state. Throughout history, people just like you and I have had moments of insight where they noticed the behaviors we've discussed in this series. These insights inspired change in how those people perceived the world and acted within it. And because of the profound nature of their individual transformation, the world changed along with them. You've seen quotes by some of these people throughout this series, and it wouldn't take much to find more. These insights bring out the best in us, and they're universally available to everyone. So this begs the question, why are these insights so common, and yet rarely recognized for their importance in our daily lives? Why do we continue to create unnecessary conflict and division in ourselves and in the world around us? From what I can tell, it's because the next stage of our development is always beyond our ability to imagine until insight or consequence makes it relevant. Just as an individual can become blinded to new possibilities by habits and identity, so too can our species as a whole. Often our greatest insights go through the stages of ridicule and opposition before they're even considered as acceptable. For example, Socrates once said that the only true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing, and he was put on trial as a disturber of the peace and ultimately executed for it. Why? Because the collective mentality at the time was unable to hear what he was saying without feeling threatened and invalidated above all else, which was exactly his point. Your mind is a vast network of thoughts, beliefs, and perceptions that influence one another in a constant dance that both creates new useful ideas and jettisons irrelevant ones according to your underlying identity. It isn't much of a stretch to realize that the world is, in fact, a much larger network wherein people do the exact same thing and call the results society. Over time, our species has climbed the stages of ego development together, and as we've grown to transcend our divisive commitment to identity, we have abandoned old practices that were responsible for much of the conflict in our history. There's still more to do, but there's no denying that we have made progress. Slavery was abolished because the recognition that all people are equal spread within our collective consciousness. That change didn't happen overnight. It started with a small group of people who had an insight that made it impossible for them to condone, tolerate, or support the concept of racial or cultural superiority. And in their conviction, they caused a ripple that would one day make slavery look barbaric, where it was once considered common. That insight spread from person to person like a self-evident wildfire, and even in a time without electronic communication or flight, eventually changed enough minds to create a tipping point where society itself had to change accordingly. 
It started with a few insightful individuals who found another way to think and had the courage to act. Our culture today is on the verge of another tipping point where we recognize as a whole that our glorification of identity and our justification of the habits we form as a result are the cause of our biggest problems, both individual and collective. Low self-esteem, social anxiety, self-doubt, relationship troubles, loneliness, guilt, regret, overwhelming thoughts, lack of motivation, spiritual confusion, bullying, discrimination, corruption, and war. Just like slavery, these consequences can be transcended through a state of mind where insight and growth are the primary objective, and it starts with individuals who desire change more than the security of identity and habit. The United States was born from that state of mind. The founding fathers of the United States didn't believe in democracy, they believed in liberty. And that's really important to remember. Like, I know as a government we tend to you know, put democracy up on a pedestal, even though it's, it's a fairly new experiment. But the foundational belief behind the United States was, was liberty, it was freedom. Not just, not just freedom as a country, but freedom as an individual, freedom to, to be you, freedom to question, freedom to be free. Right. And that's the whole point. And we've forgotten that it really largely has come about, has become about democracy. It's been about the government and getting them to do what, what you want them to do and then arguing with everybody who disagrees with you. But it was always about your liberty. It was about your right to think what you want, live and let live. And we've forgotten that largely. Yeah. And as, as we've clinged to that comfort in you know, things like group think, we take our idea of ourself or we take it more seriously in the sense that we derive our value from, you know, fitting in with other people, but liberty and, and self freedom really has never been about fitting in, but just being, you know, fitting in with yourself exactly as you are and not needing to validate the idea by fitting into anything else. But, you know, as we've grown and expanded democracy has become more, more of a point than the freedom and liberty that we initially created, you know, the country I'm living in on. It's just interesting how much more we've suffered as a result. And the fact is, is that the founding fathers knew that it would happen. They actually said that it requires a state of liberty, of awareness in order for democracy to not implode on itself. There's a number of quotes here right after this, again, that you wouldn't have seen previously, but they're super interesting. Enjoy. They recognize that it's a free state of mind that makes a new world possible, and that unless we maintain that state of individual freedom, we will be destined to remain stuck in a perpetual state of conflict, egotism, comparison, and competition, where the only real purpose is momentary satisfaction between consequences. The insights we've discussed in this series are obvious when you think about it, and they always have been. We know it feels better when we're not drowning in our own thoughts and concerns. We know we make better decisions with a clear mind. And we know that life is more fulfilling when we feel free to make our own choices with that clear mind. All we've discussed in this series are a few of our innate behaviors that have been telling us what to do for our entire lives simply because we weren't paying attention to them. By practicing the hacks in this series, you will develop the ability to see those behaviors clearly, avoid their consequences entirely, and see new options that you didn't even know were there. But by all means, don't take my word for it. Commit to practicing the hacks we've discussed in this series for just one month, and you will begin to realize it for yourself. 
As I said earlier, it takes some practice at first, but within a few weeks of honest commitment you will notice subtle changes that have reduced your overall stress, increased your overall happiness, and made your dreams feel possible. But keep in mind that as you practice and begin to notice these changes in yourself, you are going to want to share your insights with others. I understand that completely. It's why I became a life coach. But depending on your circle of friends, you may notice that these ideas are not always well received and occasionally they are misunderstood entirely. That's normal. Committing to transcendence contradicts our society's primary motivators and can sometimes be viewed as a threat to those who have not yet recognized that the threat that they feel is the result of how they think and not the result of what you're trying to tell them. As often as you meet someone who shares your interest and enthusiasm for individual change, you will meet someone who finds that conversation uncomfortable because their own sense of certainty is threatened by it. The more uncomfortable they are, the more likely they are to respond in anger, denial, or avoidance. Don't let it discourage you. The dialogue around subjects like medical marijuana, LGBTQ rights, and equality has been evolving specifically because our collective belief in identity and control is starting to change and evolve as well change is happening. Be patient while the world catches up with it. Now the reason I'm telling you all of this is because the last two key aspects to mastering transcendence are commitment and exposure. Commitment comes from experiencing small moments of transcendence firsthand, seeing the benefits for yourself, and recognizing that state as a door to your own unlocked potential. But if your life is particularly stressful, or your social circle is particularly resistant to these insights, then exposure to discussions that revolve around metacognition will help you avoid falling back into old habits and perceptions. They're also a lot of fun. As I said before, the beginning is always the hardest because you're developing a new skill. Make that transition easier for yourself by doing any or all of the following. Journal your inner dialogue and question the validity, usefulness, and origin of each thought. Changing your habitual thoughts and perceptions gets easier with practice. Start a hobby by yourself or join a group that focuses on practicing presence, silence, or non-thought. Common practices like yoga, meditation, or tai chi are ideal, but many activities can be used for the same purposes with the right frame of mind. Have conversations with people of opposing views and take careful note of your own defensive or offensive responses. These are the tools that your mind has become accustomed to using to defend its identity. Read or study the works of those who have traveled this path before us, not as teachers or authorities, but as fellow human beings who have tried to share insights that you might be able to build upon or learn from in your own journey. Even Buddha said, place no head above your own and connect with others online who share your interest in transcendence by commenting below and connecting through social media. This really is just the tip of the iceberg. The hacks we've covered in this series will act as a compass so you don't get lost again, but adapting them to your particular circumstance or challenge will be up to you. There's just not enough time in one video series to cover everything, but I will be releasing more free videos on how you can practice transcendence in relationships, parenting, business, education, spirituality, and so on. Visit me on Patreon to support my next series, or follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter to get updates on my next release. Most importantly, remember that even without my help or any of the tools that I've provided on this website, the most important factor in all of this is that you recognize that you can do it. You can experience a life of wealth, happiness, and abundance. You can leave behind your current limitations and achieve something that you don't yet fully understand, but many others have tried to share. It is possible. You just need to decide that leaving the security of Perception A is the only way to experience something more. After all, 
what does all of this boil down to? Don't get caught up in assumptions. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't get too comfortable. And show yourself some compassion. You've done the best you could with what you've understood to this point. Keep it simple and you'll have less to weigh you down. From there you will have the energy, attention, and creativity that you need to manifest the life of health, wealth, and fulfillment that you deserve. And there we are. So that was Discover Transcendence. Again, you can find that on YouTube. Feel free to, to give it a look and go through at your own pace. Um, I really appreciated the opportunity to go over all of this, but it really does come down to commitment and exposure. And it's funny because when I made that video, I was life coaching at the time and I was doing groups here and there, but only locally in the city that I lived in. I never imagined that we would be doing such large groups like we are with the dualistic unity community on patreon or on discord or in our free weekly groups uh, which you can join by the way on wednesday at six o'clock eastern time just go to dualisticunity.com free events and register registration is totally free but seating is limited and you can join us for a group or you can join us at patreon.com dualisticunity we have groups five days a week so there is plenty of opportunity now for the exposure that I was talking about when I made that video. And so I just want to say, Andrew, thanks for helping that make that come true. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fun that uh, we're able to look back at a video like this and just how applicable it is. Like it it continues on and like it it's like a intro course to everything that we expand upon in dual security and talk about every single week in the groups and on the podcast and all those things. I'm curious now that you've, you know, been through and and it's been about five years since making that. Is there anything you would change about it, or would you keep it exactly the same? I would slow it down a touch, and, and the reason is because it's quite dense. Um, again, it was originally made to be a five week course that that you would get week by week via email. That was the original intention behind it, um, but. I find it's actually better if you just watch it, pause it where you want, come back to it whenever you want. Um, so I, I just put it all together to make it more convenient. But yeah, I would probably slow it down, uh, but I would keep the content as it is because it really was meant to be an introduction, just an introduction to understanding what is getting in your way when it comes to clarity and feeling at peace with who you are. And that's really it. It's nothing more complicated than that though there is a lot within the three points that we shared in that video. And so this is why I'm glad we're doing uh, Dualistic Unity. All of the stuff that I wish I could cover or I could have covered in Discover Transcendence is, a basic, is basically what Dualistic Unity is from season one, episode one, all the way up to where we are right now. It's all of the additional conversation. But that said, you and I are still planning on doing Beyond Transcendence, where we're going to create another video very much like that one, but it's going to involve more of an, explora an exploration of religion and spirituality, the, uh, the reality behind those things, and the nature of belief being another block to the recognition of, of unity. And so that's going to be a fun video project. I'm really looking forward to getting into that, but we'll brainstorm that 
as we start working on the book that we're writing this month, if anybody would like to be a part of that brainstorming process and of course get access to the drafts as we release them month to month, join us on Patreon. Tier three supporters are gonna get a chance to get early access to the book before it's ever released. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. And it's just interesting how with throughout that entire video, like as dense as it is, it really comes down to some very basic points and, and the recognition that you're never what you think you are. And you don't have to hold on to that assumption in everything that you do. You don't have to keep telling yourself a story every time you wake up in the morning about what you can and can't do. It's not a necessity in order to live. Like, I think we forget that sometimes that we actually don't have to tell ourselves a story. We don't have to hold on to what we think is true about ourselves. We can relax into that constant state of uncertainty, both about, you know, the reality of our environment, which is also us and the idea of ourselves. what we think of ourselves as we don't have to assume that everything we think is the truth. We can recognize that none of it ever is and just hold on to that that no idea of yourself is ever the reality of what you are. And there's a ton of depth to that, but just recognizing that is oftentimes enough to see things a little bit differently and for your life to begin to change. Absolutely. But it's, it's so difficult for our brain, which is again, dualistic to understand that middle ground. So even talking to a client early, earlier this week, and they're fairly new, to all of this and uh, they have a tendency of focusing on on the negatives they have a tendency of focusing on the things that aren't quite right that aren't what they want them to be that could be something else that somebody else might have that's better um so it's always that focus and so we were talking about that because it's always based on assumption it's always based on the assumption that you know what's best and so on and so forth and that you know what you want or that you know what somebody else has or their level of appreciation always based on assumption and so we were talking about this and they asked well okay so i should be more positive and i went no Definitely don't do that, right? Just don't tell yourself a story if you can avoid it. Stop telling yourself it's a positive or a negative. Just accept that you don't know, right? Stop creating a narrative based on assumption if you can avoid it. Your brain's going to do it anyway, but that doesn't mean you have to believe it, right? And that's when you start recognizing that things are neither black or white, right? It's nothing but shades of gray as it were and so you start to get a more nuanced view of reality and yourself you start to develop more awareness and sensitivity and before you know it your life has changed but it really just comes back down to that state of being willing to question that that willingness to be uncertain yeah same kind of thinking you know with the idea of yourself or just the positive and negative thoughts and the story is kind of it's all rooted around the idea of ourself and just because we take that at its core to be the truth when someone's caught up in negative thought patterns they're oftentimes told by our society you know just think positive thoughts think happy thoughts go to your happy place it's like believe it or not you don't have to tell yourself a story you don't have to keep telling yourself things about what is here and now because anything you tell yourself whether it's positive or negative it's all a lie it's never going to be what it actually is. What it is, is what it is. You can't say it because it just is. You don't have to tell yourself a story. You don't have to constantly talk to yourself and reinforce the illusions that you cling to that soothe that fear. You don't have to do it. And your brain doesn't know that. 
just recognize that your brain doesn't know that it's going to take time for you to recognize it and drill that in so your brain starts to remember it's very much like muscle memory in in a sport or a martial art or anything it takes time to drill it in it really does it took time for you to drill everything else in so this is no different than that so just be patient with yourself show some compassion and again get some exposure to other groups to other people who talk about this stuff where you can i know that's not always easy but we're doing what we can to create those resources for you that all said, we're going to have to wrap up here because we are continuing on Patreon in a few minutes. If anybody would like to join us for the group today, we would love to see you. Um, I do want to mention very quickly that the second retreat is coming up on April 1st to April 9th. Didn't even dawn on me that we're going to be uh, sharing Good Friday and Easter Sunday together. So that's exciting. Uh, if you can make this retreat, I really recommend it. It's uh, it's going to be different than the retreat that follows because that's going to be a larger retreat. It's not going to have the same opportunities for one-on-one -on -one, uh, one -on -one walks or, or more intimate conversations. But this retreat in April is going to be fantastic because we've already done one of these before. We know the venue, we know the, uh, the service providers, we know our chef who's awesome. Uh, and of course, the, the location itself is just beautiful. So there's six tickets left. Three people are already coming. If you would like to join us, we would love to see you. And we're going to wrap this up here. I will see you on Patreon shortly, Andrew. Thanks, everyone. Sounds good. Bye, everyone.